Philip, would you mind getting that door, please? How's the morels? Evening, everybody. Here we are back in our Philippians Colossians class. We have pretty much wound up, wrapped up the letter to the Philippians. We'll be getting in Colossians tonight. Unless anybody has some holdovers you want to go back into in Philippians. Anybody got anything you want to go back to? All right. He, uh, he wrapped up the letter saying that their financial care of him has, has uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? They followed through with it. And how does he say it? Where did he put that there? They lacked opportunity, but now they have have gotten it going, and he has been refreshed. So that's what he started talking about, being able to do all things uh, through Jesus Christ. It was to be well-supplied and poorly supplied. Those are the things we talked about last week. So Colossians, this is another letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison, probably laid down his pen from Philippians got a snack and then came back and started Colossians. I, I think that's probably about how it went. That's how we might do it today. But he's, he's written this letter from prison as well. And the interesting thing to me about this is he's never been to the city of Colossae, apparently. It looks like from the context and everything he says and from the historical record that he's not been to Colossae. But he has found out from a brother he mentions in the letter that there is a congregation there, and so he's writing to them to encourage them. And apparently they've got some kind of trouble going on. If you look in chapter four or chapter 1, rather, verse 23, he, he starts, he doesn't really mention trouble at this point, but he says in chapter 1, verse 23, If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So he's encouraging them to stay steadfast to the gospel. There must have been some reason that they were being pushed or persuaded to leave that. And then in chapter 2 and verse 4, he says, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Why would you say something like that in a letter if there wasn't the opportunity for persuasive arguments and delusions to be confronting the church? And so he's writing to them, uh, with this theme in mind. Chapter 2, verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. He wasn't just blowing smoke, making something up. He was writing to them about things that apparently they were being confronted with. And so he says, not to worry about the empty deception. This is chapter 2, verse 8 again. Uh, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And then a little farther on down in chapter verse 16, it says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. So if those are the things involved, who might be part of the crew throwing these uh, false ideas of religion and godly practice out? It could be some Jewish folks, some Jewish ideas. Or it could just be somebody that's cabbaged on to some of these Jewish teachings and, and they're using these to persuade the church to, to leave, depart from the, the pure gospel of Christ. In verse 20, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, 
as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? So this must have been what was happening, what the church was being confronted with. And that's why Paul is inspired by the Spirit to write these things so that they would stand firm, be established in the faith. Uh, that seems to be a big part of the theme. In chapter 3, when we get into it, we'll see he's, he's continually laying out a plan for their behavior. Here's what you do in the face of all this opposition. Here's how you behave. And it's, it's a, a beautiful word picture of godly behavior. If we could ever live up to everything he says in Colossians 3, uh, that would be fantastic. One of the things we see in this letter is he mentions a bunch of people. Who's the first person he mentions in verse 1? Do you remember meeting Timothy in, in, in Acts? Yes, in, in Acts. If you go back to Acts chapter 16, verse 1, Paul came also to Derby. That's where they made the hats. And to Lystra. That's where they made the mouthwash. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So that's, that's where Luke introduces us through the Holy Spirit to Timothy. So we, we meet Timothy here. Paul takes him into the work, takes him under his wing. And by the time he's writing this letter to the church at Colossae from prison, he includes uh, Timothy. Now, read what it says there. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now hold that thought and then go to chapter 4. Because I'm not exactly sure what to make of this. And you can read the commentaries and see what the scholars say. But you know scholars, they don't know everything. Not like me. And you. We know everything, don't we? Sometimes we think we do. So here's what he says. In chapter 4, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas. But not Barnabas. Barnabas' cousin son, or cousin Mark. Actually, is Mark his, his cousin as we would say it? Barnabas is, or actually Mark's uncle. Mark is Barnabas' nephew. So that's who is also there. He sends his greetings. Also, Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings also, laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect. And then he mentions Luke in verse 14, and Demas. What's Demas going to do later? Demas, you may remember, he's one we read about in a, another letter. He leaves Paul. He forsakes Paul because he's in love with the present world. But for the time being, he's, he's with Paul. Now, the thing that I notice is Paul doesn't mention any of these other guys in verse 1. What could be the reason that he doesn't mention anybody else but Timothy in verse 1? I'm not saying it is. 
But in my estimation, it could be because Paul is writing this letter with Timothy. Timothy, let's sit down and let's, let's write a letter to the church at Colossae. What do you think ought to be in this letter? Maybe this is part of his schooling, part of his mentoring, and maybe that's why he includes Timothy's name right up front. But he doesn't mention the other guys until he gets to the part where he's going to say, all these guys send their greeting. I don't know why that is, but I just consider that a possibility. It's one of those things that normally you just read, oh, yeah, Paul and Timothy, they're writing this. Or Paul, Timothy's writing this letter, and he mentions Timothy. Maybe there's more to it than just the mention of Timothy. Maybe they are working together to provide this piece of correspondence to the church at Colossae. Any observations or commentary on that, Paul? Then, uh, false teachings and stuff from the Jews, could it also be considered that it was coming from Greece as well, some Greek ideas and philosophies that were, or do you think those two worlds didn't really mix? Everything's a possibility. You, you have to consider things, and you, there's no way you could rule that out. And, oh, no, that's, that's a dumb idea. That couldn't be happening. Because it might be. It, it could very well be. Remember, we just read it in, in Acts 16. Timothy's parents. One was a Jewess. Well, the mom. And then his dad was Greek. Maybe there's something to That's another one of those things. Oh, hey, that's a possibility. You never really know. It's, it's something to consider. And it, you can't go lay out a definite line about any of this, but, but it's something worth thinking about. Good, good point. All right. Uh, I need two readers just to get us started in, in the book. Hopefully that's a, a decent start, but just to give us a little bit of the flavor. I need somebody to take us from 1, verse 1 in chapter 1, down through verse 8, and then somebody 9 through 14. Who will take 1 through 8? All right, Shannon, and then 9 through 14. Who wants to take that? All right, there's Rick. Rich. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it. And understood God's grace and all of its truth. You learned it from Paphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, who also told us of your love and the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we prayed this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom, in the kingdom of light. <clears throat> For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Excellent. Thank you, guys. 
Okay, Paul writes this letter to whom? How does he describe those who are receiving this letter? Saints. Saints. What does the word saint mean? Sanctified ones. Set apart. Sanctified means set apart. So he's writing to saints. Are you a saint? If you are in Christ, you are a saint. If you're a Christian, you are a saint. And, and we have heard it's in our vernacular. You want to tell somebody you're not perfect, say, well, I'm no saint. Don't say that. You are a saint. You are set apart by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is not on everyone in this world. Bless their hearts. Some people don't have that benefit, but you do. That's what makes you sanctified. It's not because you, you live really well, because you don't. Not compared to God. Maybe compared to me, you do. But compared to God, you don't. You don't live well enough to be called a saint. But if you have the blood of Christ on you, that's what makes you a saint. Your faith is what God counts as righteousness. And so you are counted as righteousness because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the way the gospel works. That's the plan. Because we don't have anything to offer God except our faith. But he takes that faith and he counts it as righteousness. And that's what sanctifies us. He puts his spirit in us. It separates us from the rest of the world. We're not separated because we're better. We're separated because we are now his. I've used the illustration uh, I asked people, how many children in this congregation do you love? You've heard me ask this, probably. How many do you love? All of them. How many are you taking home with you tonight? <laughs> only the ones that are yours. Those are the only ones you have a right to. You love them all, but, but and that's what God's going to do in the end. He loves everyone, but he's only got a right to take home those who are his. And that's what makes us sanctified. We are his by virtue of the blood of Christ and the spirit of God. And not because we're good. Because we aren't. We aren't. Jesus said, there's none good. No, not one. Read Romans chapters 1 through 3 if you want to get a flavor for just how bad we are. Uh, Paul goes through a whole litany of Old Testament passages saying how bad every human being is. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it's really... All have sinned and are falling short. We're still falling short. I didn't fall short yesterday in the sense that I'm not doing it today. I'm, I'm still falling short, and so are you. So sanctified ones doesn't mean you're perfect. Sanctified means ones, ones who are covered by the blood of Christ and have his spirit in you, and that's who you are if you're in Christ. So that's very important. We give thanks, he says in verse 3, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Think about the mind of Paul as he's writing this. What's he been trying to do everywhere he goes? He's been trying to establish the church. He preaches the gospel, establishes churches, and then he goes back and tries to, to set up elders so that their church will have leadership. And here's a congregation he didn't have to plant. It's already planted. It exists. And so he's hearing about this from Erastus, and he says, we give thanks to God. We've heard about you, and we've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Verse 4. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. And then what does he say? Just as it has in all the world. Now hold that thought and go down to verse 23. I know we didn't read down to verse 23. 
But it's not cheating to go down and read verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have made a minister. So twice he said it in this first chapter. The gospel, what's been done with it? It's preached where? In the whole world. Now, think about this when you go back to Matthew chapter 24. This is what Jesus is saying in Matthew 24 to get the timeline. Matthew 24 is where he's, he's outside the temple with his apostles. And they, they look at that fine temple that was standing at that time. And he says, do you see all these things? This is Matthew 24 verse 2. Not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And then they ask him in verse 3, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said unto see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not frightened, for those things must take place. But that's not yet the end. And he, nation will rise against nation, earthquakes. Beginning of birth pangs. They'll deliver you to tribulation. You ever heard anybody read this and say, oh, this is taking place right now. This is, and this is coming. God's about to set up his kingdom. But look at verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in, all, in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So Jesus is saying, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. The temple's going to be taken apart piece by piece. But before that happens, the gospel is going to be preached in the whole world. Now, when was the temple dismantled? A.D. 70. About when was the letter written to the church at Colossae by Paul while he was in prison? Around 60 A.D. So prior, about 10 years, maybe not that much, but well before 70 A.D., Paul writes this letter. And in this letter, the Holy Spirit says, I want you to put in there twice. That the gospel has been preached to the whole world. So Jesus is saying in Matthew 24, before the gospel's preached, or, or by the time the gospel, before <laughs> Jerusalem's destroyed, the gospel will be preached in the whole world. And then Colossians says, that's what happened here. Jamie? Is that a I wish I could say that I knew that the gospel went all the way over to China. But I was, it was a long time before I found out that Thomas went to India. And so I, I don't know exactly how far the gospel has gone. But I do know that when the Holy Spirit had Paul write this letter to the Colossians, that was the phraseology that he used. Same phraseology Jesus used. Gospel's going to go out to the whole world. And, and that's what... Uh, the Holy Spirit says here, and if you go back to Isaiah, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm not able to specifically answer your question if everybody in the world heard it or if it was just sort of semi-symbolically out to the whole world. But in the fourth chapter of Isaiah, uh, sorry, the second chapter, it's fourth chapter of, of Micah. This is Isaiah chapter 2. The word which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah 
and Jerusalem. It'll come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established in the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law is going to do what? It's going to go forth from Zion. That's the temple mount. That's Jerusalem. And the word of the Lord, what's it going to do? It's going to go forth from Jerusalem. What did Jesus tell the apostles in Acts chapter 1? You go to Jerusalem and you wait. Until what happens? Until you're given power from on high. And then you're going to be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judah, in Samaria, and then Oklahoma. I like to say it that way because he says the uttermost parts of the world. And to them, this would have been the uttermost parts of the world. So Jesus is saying the gospel is going to the whole world by virtue of you guys. You're sending it out. You're preaching the gospel. And so this is the idea that we have in, in Matthew in Isaiah, in Colossians, that the gospel's gone out to the whole world. And now, it, it's, it's time that the end can come. And the end is not the end of the world. The end Jesus is talking about will come within a generation, he will say later in Matthew 24. And that end is the end of Judaism. Judaism has been around for about 1,500 years, and he says it's coming to its conclusion. It's a covenant that has served its purpose. When Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, he will say the law was our schoolmaster to do what? To bring us to Christ. And after Christ has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. Aren't you glad we are not under the law anymore? I do not have to go get a bull when I sin and take it to a priest and watch the priest kill it. I don't, and, and it didn't even stipulate you had to watch the priest. You just take your bull to the priest and he'll do that stuff with it. And I've thought to myself, maybe you've thought to yourself, you read about those things. How, how is that going to change how I feel about myself and my sin? I've got guilt. Oh, Lord, I've sinned. What I would do? Well, take, take the bull, take it to the priest, and he'll kill it, and, and you'll be absolved of your sin. Because it says in Leviticus chapter 4, you can read it for yourself. When the priest kills that sacrifice that you take to him, it says over and over, he shall be forgiven. He shall be forgiven. He shall be be forgiven. And so I, I would read that or I would hear that. I would be taught that. What's the only way I can feel forgiven? The only way is by faith. Faith. Because I can't see it. I can't touch it. I, I just have to believe. Well, that's what the law said. That's what I did. So I, I must be forgiven. So when you read in Romans, and Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God for salvation. To whom? To the Jew first, but also to the Greek. And then what does he say in verse 17? He says, the righteousness of God is declared in the gospel. Because if God forgave sin in the times of Leviticus chapter 4, but never paid for it, that would not be righteous. But he forgave sin and he paid for it. Uh, the illustration works for us. You, you go to Walmart, you get your stuff. Do you give them money? Do you give them a check? No, you give them that magic little plastic card. Stick it in a box. Boop. It says take your card. So you take your card and you get your stuff and you walk out. Have you paid for it? You haven't paid for it. 
When do you pay for it? When you get the bill from the visa company, and then you write the check and you pay for it. That declares you righteous. You haven't stolen. This is a deal. This is an agreement you've made. But if you don't send that check, if you say, I'm not writing them a check, then you're a thief. And you're unjust. And God would be unjust if he did not pay for the sin that he forgave. So this gospel is going out into the whole world from Jerusalem. And Paul is writing to this church in Colossae, and he says, the gospel has gone out to the whole world. This message that says God has forgiven your sin. All you need to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. His gospel is there for, for, for you to observe, to hear, to believe, to obey. You don't have to be perfect, but you do this, and you will become a saint. And I'll be able to write a letter to you, sanctified ones. If he wrote a letter to the church at Choctaw, he would say, to the saints at Choctaw, because that's who we are. Not by virtue of our good behavior, but by virtue of our faith through which God has blessed us with his grace and his mercy. Billy? You read verse 117, but you stated something different than what I'm reading here. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as is written, but the righteousness shall live by faith. Yes. And I, I, I said something different. What did I say? I don't remember. I don't know. It struck me though when you read it. That's what I was reading. I'm sure mine was based on the Greek interpretation or something. (laughs) (laughs) What you read is what's right. But God declared his righteousness in offering up his son because that that offering paid for the, the sin that he had forgiven. And it's from faith to faith. Not just the faith we have today, but the faith they had then. That faith. What the sacrifice lamb to the priest that he had killed it and sacrificed for you. And we had to have faith that our sins were forgiven then. Yes. We know we have faith now because the righteousness of God prevailed in us through faith in Jesus Christ. They just had to believe the priest that I'm about to give. Right. They had to believe something else. Because when, when Paul writes about this in Romans 4, he doesn't go to the law. Who's he go to in Romans 4 to talk about justification by faith? He goes to Abraham. Did Abraham live under the law? No. Abraham was a long time before the law. But Abraham was the one who was justified by faith. And so it doesn't just go back to those who lived under the old law that they were justified by faith. It goes back to those prior to the old law who were justified by faith. And the sins of all of us from Adam right up through today covered by the blood of Christ. Preston, and then Bobby. I'll just listen to the comments. Uh, I keep thinking about the delivery and how most people at that time, the Jews and the Greeks, received the word. And and, and there's still miracles. There's still laying on of hands. There's still healing. Of course, we understand, like we talked about last week, in Corinthians, that that which is part is is, uh, come...
farthest reaches of the world come from. And, 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 and we don't have the same experience they have. We don't have the same delivery that they have, but yet we have that which is perfect that has come. And these three things remain faithful to love. Right. So I, it's just spinning in my mind all these different things that we're talking about and trying to put together. You know, and it just gives a picture. But God is light, God is love, God is faithful, God is just. I mean, you, you can say so many things. Well, I didn't mean to. I just. Uh, <laughs> I hope you feel better later. Don't get. Don't get. Uh, what's that? Get dizzy. Yeah, get dizzy. Yeah, Bobby. This goes back to when you were talking about when, when it was brought up. Was this the old world or the whole world? Uh, specifically, we don't have that information, but there are some things that you could consider into that because. Historians kind of feel that Romans made it to South America in their boats. And, you know, at one time or another, that's why the Aztecs and all were looking for these white gods to come back. So they kind of think that under, into the time of the Romans, the kingdom, if it was, could have brought Christianity. It doesn't mean they converted them, they could have heard it. We don't know that, but that's just something you can kind of. Right. It's it's whatever God meant with that, in whatever Jesus meant with it, I should say in uh, in Matthew twenty four. That's what the Spirit meant to fulfill in Colossians one. Is is what I'm thinking. I just find it interesting that Jesus makes that statement in Matthew 24. Before this happens, the gospel is going to go out into the whole world. Okay, well, when's that going to happen? And Paul writes to the church of Colossae, the gospel has gone out to the whole world. And he says it twice, almost to give us reassurance that, that this is, what's that? Yes. Right. It's. But back to what Preston said, everybody's experience is different. We're all raised in different circumstances, got different parents, different cultures, different time, different influences in our life. Becky? Impossible for us with our limited knowledge to fill in all the blanks who might not have heard the word. But I, I fall back on what Jesus said. He said, seek and what's going to happen? 
you'll find it. Knock. Door's going to be open. Ask. It'll be given to you. If you're looking for God, God will reveal himself. God will not withhold himself from you because he's created you in his image. No matter where you live in the world, no matter what your culture is, what your mindset is, there's some way that God will get to you. That's, that's my faith. And I, I couldn't prove that to you, but I know that's what God says. idea because if you get to the edge of the woods you'll see trees doing this you'll see healthy trees that are are bending over leaning over and growing in a misshapen form why because they're struggling to get out of the shade and into the light and it's like god built this into trees how does a tree know to do that it's it beyond me it's baffling the whole creation is crying out yeah you 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 got to know there's a god bob Okay. Because, you know, God called Philip to go join that chariot. Right. You know, and, and, you know, not directly anymore, but I think he calls the saints to go places to get to people. Right. People were traveling all over the place, and, and word got around, especially something like this. And, and we should never forget to imagine the potential of God's providence in making sure that his the word of his son gets out into all the world there's just just a lot there to think about paul i'm grateful that we don't have to understand how right We're told we, we, we know he declares to us he has all the power the, the son has all power and authority in heaven and on earth okay so that's his reach uh, and he even declares he, he he doesn't want any of them to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Okay, so there's his intent and his ability. Stop. What do you, you know, we need to know, do we need to peek behind the curtain? No. We want to, but yeah. we don't get that. So we, we want to peek behind the curtain to see how everything is done, but, but we can't. We don't get to peek behind the curtain. Johnny? Chapter 1 of Romans uh, you know, 19 and 20 deals a little bit with the, the, some of the stuff we don't know, but it, it says we're basically without excuse. He, he shows his power, as Preston said, through nature. Even. I, I also find it interesting. Native Americans. Many gods? Or a great spirit? 
Great spirit. That's what I hear about all the time. Now, I'm not saying there might not have been some tribes with, with other uh, idol gods, but there was this idea of a great spirit. Where did they get this idea of a great spirit, one who was the father in the sky? Other cultures have this same idea. When you, when you track history, really? Come on. When you, when you take the extant information that's available and you go back through history, the, the older a civilization is, or idolatrous civilization, the more idols they have, the farther back you go, the more monotheistic the culture and the religion becomes. Because it all goes back to a singular God when you look at the account from Genesis. That's the way it works. Were there other hands? Yes. The tribe that they have so-called found living in these backwoods and stuff like that, they all have a, a person or something that they worship. Exactly. That's and one of the markers. Even though they've never seen you know, anybody, supposedly, you know. Right. When when archaeologists are looking and they're saying, well, we've got some, we don't know if these are Neanderthals or just how old these guys were. Oh, but look, we found some artifacts that show us that they worshipped. These were humans. That's that's part of it. Harold? Well, 120, let's see. For the sense of the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through that which is made. So they're without excuse. When man takes his time and puts his thoughts into what he sees, it had to have a designer. It had to have a creator. It could not just have happened. You and I, we are so incredibly made, and we function, we could not have just happened. There is a creator. There's no doubt in my mind to... to, to Try to look and say, well, it all just happened through evolution. That is about the weakest argument I ever heard. When we look out at what we see, the evidence is there if you just open your eyes and look. I agree. When Paul was preaching on the Areopagus, there were all those idols and images, and there was one to an unknown God. So, so they were trying to cover all their bases. But when Paul preached Jesus, what happened? There were people who believed. In my mind, it's like those people had had seen through the the weakness of idolatry. This isn't going to help me. This isn't going to take care of my sin, my guilt. I still go to bed every night, and I don't know what's going to happen when I die. And then this guy comes, and he tells me about this guy who is the Son of God who died and rose from the dead. That's what I need. He died and rose from the dead so that my sins would be forgiven. That's what I need. He was perfect and he took my sins on himself. That's what I need. And that message resonated with them and it will resonate with people today if we are talking to people who have seen through the nothingness that is in the world. And so we need to keep preaching. We need to keep talking to people and asking people, what do you think about Jesus? Have you, have you, have you developed an opinion about Jesus? And, uh, Exactly. Don't ever give up. Yeah, don't ever give up. Somebody, does somebody else have a hand or a question over here? Oh. Okay. There, there were those. Yes. Those were native South Americans. 
I guess. No, no, those were Mexicans, Mexico, right? Yeah. Mexico. When you said Aztecs, I was thinking the Incas down in South America. But you're talking about Aztecs, Mexico. Aztecs, where Cortez went Yeah. You know, and you think about Cortez and the guys were all Catholics, you know. Right. And what were they after? Yeah. You know, they were very sinful. Oh, yeah. They're after their gold. Let's steal their gold. And see, people, people do that today. They point it at Christianity and all the evils of Christianity. I say, well, wait a minute. Are you talking about the evils of Christianity or are you talking about the evils of men's twisted practice of Christianity? Because I, when you start talking to people, you agree. Oh, yeah, that was evil. That never should have happened. The Inquisition, the, the way Native Americans were treated by people who were looking for gold, even though they came under the, the banner of Catholicism, they weren't practicing Jesus Christianity they were practicing something like what all of the writers of the New Testament were trying to fight against. Don't let these false ideas get into the church. It goes back to Genesis chapter 3. You won't die. It, it's the same message. Oh, you got Jesus? Oh, you don't really need Jesus. You, you don't need that teaching of Jesus. You don't need this aspect of Christianity. Let's change this over here. Let's make this a little different. After all, it's the 20th century or the 21st century or the 18th century or the 9th century. All along the way, that's what people could say. This Jesus is old stuff. We need to change things. We need to update. No, we don't. That's the last thing we need. Yes. We, we just think we're going to progress. Exactly. But that was based on the lie. She thought things would be better if she listened to the lie. She didn't know it was a lie. She didn't think it was a lie. And so I think it's a second bell. But, Billy. Uh, if you think about the church, the establishment of the church and everything, in the last days, what's going to happen in the last days? Temple's going to fall. It's going to be rebuilt. Christ is the temple. He's been raised from the dead. What's the last thing that must be conquered before the end? Death itself. Did not Christ conquer death? We're living in the last days. Right. Right. And that's how the Hebrew writer started that, that letter. In these last days. <laughs> so, okay. Thank you very much. Appreciate all the, the in input. Good class.